0: Please open our Bibles to Acts chapter 27. We've really come as far as verse 25, but we're going to back it up a couple verses here to verse 22. And the reason we're doing that is because it just makes more sense to sort of take this as a a single clip rather than trying to go back. Uh, Because everything that we're going to read in verses 27, even through 30, is going to really go back to 22. If you all remember, as we were going through this, that God had so clearly You know, I believe given Paul discernment, you know, I don't, I don't know if it was a word of knowledge. I'm not sure what exactly was happening there, but, but clearly Paul had this discernment that we and everyone aboard here, the 276 passengers were going to shipwreck. They were going to die. There was going to be a loss of life and a loss of the ship. And, you know, they were kind of like, yeah, okay, Captain Paul, you know, we're, you're a pastor. What do you know about sailing? What do you know about any of that? You know? And, um, you know, they, they didn't listen. And Julius, you know, who I, I do believe we're going to see him in heaven. He also was listening to the owner of the ship and often also to the helmsman, you know, that way. But I think deep down inside, there, there had to be a place where he had to go, you know, who is this guy? Who is this guy that, that's, you know, more or less prophetically telling us, look, and then we studied, we went and read about how in, you know, he said he had already been shipwrecked three times, spent a day and a night in the deep. You know, Paul knew a little bit about what it is to be shipwrecked. He knew a little bit about what it was to try to tread water for 72 hours or grab a piece of board or do something like that. And how many times did God use somebody in our lives that he sends and he gives us a prophetic word through that person, maybe a word of knowledge. But we're so quick to just, no, you, you're not a, you know, what do you know? You're not this you know, person, I'm the CEO this whatever. And I love how God speaks. He speaks to hearts and he speaks to minds for those that have an ear to hear and that are willing to hear what the Lord has to say. And so as we continue on, let's just, let's just kind of make that transition. Now all of a sudden, Paul is gonna turn around here and he's gonna go take heart. And it, it, whoa, Paul, What? You told us we were all going to die before. Now, now you're telling us take heart? And, and the guys will bring up the map where you can begin to see where we're talking about. He's going to be making his way to Malta, remember? The whole point is where he was, um, as he was sailing through like that, he wanted to eventually, they wanted to get to Phoenix. And uh, Kevin, if you could bring up the map. He wanted, to bring, he wanted to get to Phoenix that way because they thought it was more lively and it would be a safer place to harbor. You know, And if you look here, where we're talking about, right, is right in this area down here. So they were in Fair Havens. They were making this journey. This is really a one-day, not even, you know, a half, maybe a little bit, three-quarters of a day sailing from here to here. But Fair Havens was boring. There was nothing going on. There was no nightlife. There was nothing there. So they're like, we don't, you know, 276, we don't want to stay here. We want to go on to Phoenix, and, and it's a safer and better place to harbor. Well, that's where we read about this storm. You know, they get such a storm that they're blowing some 500 miles Right? They, they were concerned that they were going to end down here at this ship in this graveyard in this area. right? And so that's what they were really feeling, fearing. But then what we're going to find as we read in our passage, they're somewhere in this area, they're going to be making their way and they're going to shipwreck on Malta. But before that happens, God's going to give them a word. He's going to say, listen, Paul, you don't need to be afraid. I made a promise to you that you're going to go to Rome. You're going to get to Rome. And Paul, I also want you to know something. I hear the prayers of the saints. I hear your prayer, Paul, specifically your prayer for interceding one to another. Paul was praying for those 275 other souls that were aboard that boat. He didn't want a single one of them to perish because if they didn't know Christ, he knew what that meant, eternal separation from God. And so as we read here, and we'll begin in verse 22, if you follow along in your Bibles, it says, and now I urge you, take heart, cheer up, he says. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Now, wait a minute. What gives? Have you ever uh, had a total ship be destroyed and you're sort of just walking on water going, yeah, this is great. No. I mean, if your ship is going to be destroyed, if you're on a cruise and they tell you the ship is going down or things are not going to work right, get off at the port before or, you know, the port, the next port available. Don't sit there and go, well, I think we can, you know, we'll make it, right? I mean, it doesn't make sense logically, but that's... Where's your hope come from? You see, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 121, verse, verse two. You've know, God's help for those who seek him. You know, in Psalm 121, and I, I believe, you know, this was resounding in Paul's mind and heart here. I believe he was hearing this supernaturally, spiritually. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. We sing that song, don't we? We sing that song, that song. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall not slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Now this is interesting because in that passage, didn't we read that the storm gets so bad they can't even see the sun or the moon? They can't even see the stars above them. They don't know where they're going. They're off course. When they get to Malta, they don't even know they're at Malta because they were so driven by the wind, they don't even know where they're at. But God tells us that he knows where we are at all times. And God's our keeper. He's our shade. And he protects us. It says, the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. Not some, but all. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. That's a promise of God that way. And when we look at biblical prophecy, what is prophecy ultimately but God's promises that we see you know, fulfilled or know that God has promised and we look towards the future fulfillment of those? You can turn back to Acts here. God spoke to Paul in a very real way. God has spoken to all of you here in a very real way. We need to trust his promises. He wants to tell us, cheer up and take heart. Don't trust in what you can see or what you can't see. He wants us to take heart because he's the one that preserves us. He's the one that knows our going out and our coming in. He's the one that protects us. He's our buckler and shield. In whom we trust. That's what the Bible says. Does that mean that nothing unfortunate is ever going to happen to you? No, that's, that's not what the Bible teaches. There is no faith and prosperity gospel in the word of God. There's, no, there's nothing in here that teaches that. What this teaches is that despite your circumstances, or should I say in the middle of your circumstances and storm, that God will be with you and he will preserve you. And what does that look like for a born-again believer in Christ? What that looks like is the closing of eyes and the opening of your eyes in his arms. That's what it looks like. That's what it means to truly preserve. It's not about the temporal. It's never been about the temporal. It's always been about the eternal. To live as Christ, to die is gain. For there stood by me, you know, where where does this come from, Paul? We We get the answer here. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God, the definite article, the there, the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid. Paul, you must be brought before Caesar. Paul, remember what I told you. Remember the promises I made to you. Friends, remember what God has shown you. What is the ultimate promise he's made to the believer? To resurrect you. To resurrect you. That's why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so important. If he himself could be resurrected by God the Father and himself, can he not likewise resurrect you and I? For those that place their faith and trust in him? Of course he can. To where? Some to eternal life. To those that don't believe in him. To eternal damnation. But there's a resurrection. Resurrection. He says, don't be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Why are we given that caption? Why why is Dr. Luke giving us that there? Because he's trying to tell us what was Paul's heart. Paul's heart was not just about Paul. Paul's heart was after those other 275 souls. He was interceding for them. Lord, I know the ship is going to go down. I understand that. But Lord, save these other souls. I think this is a great example of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That it's not just about us. It's not just about me. Are we interceding one to another? Are we praying for others? Are we others focused? He says, I'm granting them. You all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart. Therefore, what's the therefore? Therefore, this is the response, Paul. Take heart, men. Men. For I believe God. And that's what it comes down to, friends. Who do you believe? Your faith is only as good as what you place your faith in. I mean, really, that's ultimately what it comes down to. You've heard me say it before. I'll I'll say it again. Your faith is only as good as what you place your faith in. If you place in your faith in yourself, you're going to be sadly disappointed. If you place your faith in others, you're going to be sadly disappointed. But if you place your faith in the living God, in the living Christ, oh, he's a promise keeper. He holds the universe, the world in his hands. Is, is his hand slack in any way? Of course not. For I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. How many Christians need to take this verse and write it on the table of our hearts today? As they begin to say, well, I believe most of the word of God, but when we get to millions of years, you know, I think that makes more scientific sense. I don't believe in six literal days. What does the word of God teach? Six, li- yam, right? Day, 24-hour day, six literal days. And, you know, young earth, 5,000, 6,000 years old. But people will say, wait wait a minute, no. Or, or, or what about, you know what? Even, you can't even get past Genesis chapter one with some folks because, well, there's gotta be a gap in here. There's the gap theory. We gotta we got add an artificial gap like that. Why can't we all just come to the word of God and have reverence for it and believe the literal interpretation of it? Why do we have to take, I mean, the minute you start dividing and crossing out and, 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 you know, and I'm gonna, I'll take this because I like this and this suits me, what would, what would that have done to Paul's faith? How would Paul know where to begin to trust and where to to try to take matters into his own hands? You see, it's a slippery slope. We need to say this. For I believe God. Do you believe God? Do you believe that Jesus Christ said he was going to come again? Do you believe, as it's written in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, that we would be raptured? Harpazo is the exact term. Rapturo in the Latin that we would be removed before the great tribulation would come because his church wasn't given unto wrath. Do we believe that? Do we believe that Jesus Christ as our Lord and savior will preserve us? Do we believe that he will meet us in the middle of the storm of life? That even when we get that call from the doctor, that isn't what we want to hear, that God is still God and he's never caught us guard. He's never surprised He knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. He's God. Do do you understand what that was meant to do for us? That was meant to calm our anxieties. It was meant to give us an eternal peace. And that's exactly what the world and the enemy wants to chip away at. He wants to take that foundation out from under you so that where is your foundation built? On a rock, Petra, right? Or is it built on sand that that eventually starts to fall apart and starts to crumble? And and where do you end up? On a slippery slope. In mud. Because you take water and sand and it makes us mud-like consistency. Jesus warned us. For I believe God. I pray that's our heart's cry here this morning. It will be just as it was told me. Just as it is in your word, Lord. However, we must run aground on a certain island. He doesn't know what island, but he knows God's told him he's going to run aground on a certain island. We can look back and say, okay, that's Malta. He, he didn't have 2020. They, 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 they didn't know where they were going. They had nothing to guide or direct him that way. They had to trust the living God. And I love that. Why do we get, you know, why does God allow certain circumstances? Because he's teaching us to trust him. It's a gift of Grace. Because when we begin to place our faith and trust in him and not in ourselves, immediately we start to see that fear, that anxiety. It all starts to go by the wayside. Verse 27. Now when the 14 night had come, right? So they hadn't eaten. If you remember, they had not had any food. The, wa- the boat's been tipped back and forth. I'm sure they're very nauseous. Probably don't want to eat like that. And it said, as they were come, they were driven up and down the... Adi- 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 Let's try that again. Adriatic Sea. What this is meaning is it's not a straight line. It means they're doing this. Right? You got waves. You got a storm. This is a typhoon-like wave. High winds. If anybody ever been on a boat in here, you ever had a, a remember, there's a very long 200, somewhere 140 to 200-foot boat. It was meant to be, you know, a cargo carrier, so to speak. Its displacement was great, over 1,200 tons of weight, putting it into the water. When you have a high displacement like that and, you're bo- and the boat comes in, you're more... You know, you're going to feel more of the water, the waves. You're going to feel that. It's a simple physics thing. You're going to feel those things, right? Can you imagine 14 days going through a storm like that with no food, nothing? They couldn't even eat. They'd begin to give up hope. And yet Paul comes as his take heart. Okay, Paul. But God's telling us that, isn't he? He's telling you that here this morning. I, I want to look you all in the eyes and tell you, Take hope. Whatever you're going through right now, Jesus Christ wants you to take hope. He wants you to be encouraged. You're not alone. You're not alone. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God will see you through it. He promises to never. Pray him into the storm, friend. Don't pray yourself out of the storm. Pray him into the storm. So they're driven up and down the Adriatic Sea. And about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. Again, don't know where they're at. They're somewhere in this, sorry, somewhere in this area. They're starting to draw near that. Right? And they took soundings. Anybody in the Navy or anybody that's ever been in maritime, uh, you know, ship sailing, anything like that, it's, we're going to see a word here, a fathom. A fathom is roughly six feet, if you want to make a note in your Bibles. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms, roughly 120 feet shallow. All right. Then they take it again, and when they had gone a little farther and they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms, which means it's going from 120 feet down to 90 feet. What does that tell you and I? You're coming close to either a sandbar or you're going to kind of shallow out like that. Now, you have a large, large boat. Higher displacement places that boat deeper in the water. What's that mean? That means you're going to run ashore, in this case, run you know, into whatever you're going to hit quicker, And it's going to destroy it because so much of the boat is underwater, right? So that first, the front part of the boat, it's going to crash. It's going to break open. And if it does that, what does water do? takes a path of least resistance. So where's it going to go? Right into the hull, right? This is what they're looking. This is why they're interested in that. They're wanting to know, where are we? How, How shallow is this water? Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks... They drop four anchors from the stern. Very interesting. Again, any sailors in here, you don't drop anchors from the stern of the boat. Where do the? Anch- it's always in the bow. It's always in the front of the boat is where your anchors were. Why would you do that? Right? But when you drop it in the stern, what's that going to do? Anybody that's sailed, it's going to turn your boat into the wind, into the wave, because it's going to be, the back is going to be planted. And what happens, if I can use the little mouse, what happens is it's going to, if I plant the back here, it's going to turn it because it's going it, to the the anchor's going to hold this in place and then the front's going to be moved with the winds and the waves right so what is he doing he they're allowing this so that they can keep their eyes forward to see what's coming at them they're still trying to see they're still they're still trying to you know they're still trying to sort of understand what's going on here and they prayed for day to come some of you know what that's like you know when the night comes and you're alone and The darkness comes. Sometimes you can't wait for the day. You've ever been a soldier in the military or you've ever had a a situation where you're out at night. You can't wait for day to come sometimes. It just gives you a sense of lifting your spirit, a sense of hope. Because you can see again. You can see what's around you. And as these sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, right? So, whoa, what happened here? Paul had told them all, all of a sudden we have men that are about to abandon ship, and not just any men, but the soldiers, right? They're going to they're gonna turn around and say, you know what, I remember there's that dinghy. We're going to go pretend we're putting anchors down, but you know what we're doing? We're bailing out. We're going to leave this ship and the rest of these crewmen like that and everybody else, and Julius for that matter, right, the centurion commander. We're going to abandon ship. What does this mean? This means that if these Passengers survive. Julius is going to be the one that's held responsible and all the other men that are alive because the other soldiers ran off. Life for life, blood for blood, that was Roman law. You can either bring them dead or alive, but you had to bring them. And if any of them escaped, the soldiers themselves paid with their lives. This was a big deal. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship when they had let down the skiff or the dinghy, you might know more of a, modern term for it, into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow. That means from the front of the boat, right? The forwardmost part of the ship is the prow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. He says, we need to finish this. We need to finish the course. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes to the skiff and let it fall off. Well, all of a sudden something changed here, didn't it? Now it is Captain Paul, right? Before, it was like, Paul, you're out of your mind. What are you talking about? We shouldn't go from, you know, all we want to do is go from Fair Havens to Phoenix. Paul, you're crazy. We're going to go Fair Haven. It's only a, it's a short night journey. Now, all of a sudden, Paul says, cut the rope to the dinghy, which maybe people could have gotten off and got close to shore, especially if they're only, you know, 120 to 90 feet like that. It's getting shallower and shallower. He says, cut it. Let it go. Any hopes of jumping on that dinghy for survival is gone. Paul's saying we're staying with the ship until otherwise. What's otherwise? Until God shows us. Until God shows us we're not going to the left, we're not going to the right, we're going to stay the course. This is a biblical, this is biblical wisdom. If you're looking at your life and things are starting to, to change and you're, what do I do? And, and and you start to get nervous and you're starting to panic and wh- what should I do? You stay where God has planted you in his will. When God wants you to move, he'll give you a word and he'll tell you it's time to move or this season's over or, or however he speaks to you in his word, he'll confirm it. I, many of the counselings I have, people come in the office, pastor, what do we do about this? What has the Lord showed you? Where was the last place God spoke to you in the word? You know, I'm not hearing him clearly. Well, let's go back to where he was, and he spoke to you. Have you done the things he's showing you? Have been been faithful to the commands and statutes he's had for you there? If you have, then stay the course. If you haven't, return to your first love. If, if there's something you got off, or maybe you missed something God was giving you, that's okay. God is so gentle. He's not going to take out a bat and thwack you. He's gently going to redirect you. So often Christians get paralyzed because they're afraid to step out of the will of God. They're so afraid to step in faith. Lord, what if I got it wrong? What if I'm not hearing you right? Lord, I know I think you want me to go to the mission field, but I'm not sure. Lord, what if, what if something happens and I get there and I get dysentery or, or something horrible happens? Take a step of faith when God shows you and then wait on him and trust him. Paul was resolute. Paul wasn't fickle through any of this. Sure, he might have been fearing because he's human, right? Just like all of us, we have emotions. God's not trying to say don't have emotions. You're not a robot. But God's saying, trust me. Trust me. And we don't have to react often where we panic and what do we do and how is this going to work out? And we start trying to take things into our own hand as though we're micromanaging God. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. I would argue all of us have done it at one time in our lives or another. Or maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just me. But they cut away this rope, and it says, As the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them to all take food, saying, Today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eating nothing. Look at this. A pastor's heart. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful. Lead, feed, protect a pastor's heart. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment for this is for your survival since not a hair will fall from your head of any one of you. And when when he had said these things, he took bread, I love the boldness here, in the storm with all the attitudes and everything. And what is Paul doing? Pastor Paul, he's taking that bread and he's saying, it's time. And he begins to break that bread. We're gonna have communion today. Pastor Bill's gonna come up, he's gonna lead us through communion today. We're gonna go through that and we're gonna we're gonna partake of that memorial with Jesus Christ. It's time. He broke this bread boldly, boldly in front of everyone there. And he gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. He gave grace. Then they were all encouraged and also took food for themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw, it, and threw out the weed into the sea. Can you imagine? All the money, all the food that was needed to eventually make its way to Italy to feed all these people. They knew at that point, what's it matter? God is our provider. I, I, I believe so many men and women on this ship got saved. Because they saw the living God. It was a living testimony. You couldn't miss it. They begin to throw over the wheat, to throw over the sustenance. But there was also another reason they were doing it. What were they trying to do? If you're going into a shallower and shallower waters, what do you want to do? We talked about the plow, the front of the boat. What do you want to try to do? Get that as high as you can. Because that means you can go further and further in. So by throwing over this 1,200 tonne, of weed and all the other stuff they had, that would raise the displ- displacement of that boat higher. They would be able to go in further. They'd be able to make it in closer. Sometimes you, you've heard people say, you know, penny wise pound foolish. Or people have said, hey, you know, uh, I've, you know I'm going to hold on to this gold at the rate of costing them their lives or whatever, you know. They're, they're... It's temporal. Friends, it's temporal. It doesn't matter wood, hay, and stubble, it's all going to burn. The only thing that's not going to burn is the soul of the believer you give the gospel of Jesus Christ to that responds and the good works and deeds that you did for the kingdom of heaven with, with the right motives, with the correct motives. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. Again, they don't recognize this area. Sorry, I keep pointing up that I meant to say here. They don't recognize this area. They don't know where they're at, but they begin to see something. Now, if you've been to Malta, this is all rocky. This is all rocky. I mean, they're looking and they're thinking, how are we getting on land? It would be like looking at the side of a mountain, sort of rock, rocky there. Have you ever been to the Amalfi Coast? Anybody been over to Italy or been? Luna Convento, there's a uh, means moon with wind in Italian. If you look at the um, uh, coast like that, you can see the Mare, that's what the word in Italian for sea, you could see the sea. And what would happen is when you look upon that, you'd see these rocks. And they've literally built hotels or different things like that into the Amalfi coast. Because there's so much rock around that area, and then there's, of course, there's beach and an area like that. But that's what they would have seen as they looked out. They would have saw the mare. They see the water. They would have seen this rock, but it wouldn't. You know, where are we going to go ashore? How are we? We're gonna. The boat is gonna crash. We're gonna die in the middle of this, right? So they're looking. Where can they run the ship? And they let go the anchors and let them in the sea. I love this. There is no going back. Once you let go of these anchors, there is no, hey, we're going to stop here and then try to swim our way in. The boat is going and nothing's going to stop it this way. It'll be taken by the winds and the waves and the current. Meanwhile, loosing uh, loosing the rudder, remember we talked about how they had tied the rudder at least to stop the ship from trying to do this. Now they loose it so that now they have some navigational control because as they can direct the rudder, that can sort of steer the ship a little bit and the ropes, right, and they hoisted the mainsail To the wind to make uh, to made ready for shore, but striking a place where the two seas met. What is that a a really nice uh, King James way of saying? where there was a sandbar. Have you ever seen a sandbar and you're in the middle of the sandbar? You know, waves come this way. Waves come this way and they're breaking, but they're breaking right where the sandbar is, right? If you've ever been on one. I can remember being in Florida when I was younger with my father. We went out and we were swimming. My dad was in the Navy and, you know, we would swim and we would go out to sea and he threw me on his back. I, I must have been 10 years old. And I remember just going out and out. And I mean to the point of where we couldn't see back. I was a pretty good swimmer. My dad had raised me already, um, you know, to be a good swimmer that way and and I remember getting out and then you kind of when you can't see back you're sort of like huh but my dad had known in the Gulf of Mexico he knew because he had gone there and spent enough time he knew there was a sandbar or believed there was a sandbar that would be oh you know 10 feet in front of us that just kept being 10 feet more you know And for you shark lovers, I remember swimming in there going, I wish I never watched Jaws, you know, and I'm swimming out to this whole thing. And I remember getting close and I could see the sandbar and it's just as it describes in the Bible. It was like where these waves were meeting in one area. But when you look at it on the horizon, it looked like they were breaking this way. And it was like, how is that possible? How could it be breaking both ways? They break one way, you know, as they come in. But that's exactly what it looked like. And so we got on the shore, you know, or, or I, you know, when we got close enough, my dad just went, oh, I remember saying that. And I took his hand he brought up and there was blood on his hand. And I remember thinking, I'm getting out of Dodge. You know, I, I, I'm i I'm beelining right to that sandbar. Because all I got in my head is, dun, 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 you know, I'm wrecked from that. So I'm like, boom, I'm swimming. My dad's like, yeah, I'm okay, son. Don't worry about me. You know, I'm like, dad come this way, you know? And he got out and, you know, he's swimming and I'm like, get out of the water. And he's like, son, do you know what I did in the Navy? I'm like, no, don't, just get out of the water, you know? And, uh, we were okay. And I was a little bit frightened. So my dad, uh, waved down a boat and we ended up getting a ride back. But, uh, it ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast. That means it literally comes in, hits, and that, it, it, it would move you. There's a lot of force there. You're coming in. You got the wind, the waves. You're coming in hard. You hit that sandbar. It's not like, okay, we're preparing for a landing. You know, everybody put your tray tables in the upright, you know, your seats in an upright position, and you're sort of leaning forward. You're coming in. You look out the wind. You know, you can tell that the pilot begins to put, you know, the, the wing down a little bit. To, no, no, no. You're coming in Hard. I mean, to the point where it would throw you. So they would have probably even tied ropes on themselves. They would have grabbed on because they wouldn't have been able to kind of do one of these moves and hold themselves still. There would have been none of that. You're coming with such force in, and then you're immediately hitting. The, the prow of the boat would break up, literally. Water would be rushing in. I mean, I want to give you the, the just try to take this all in. And remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. So what happened is the front comes in, hits so hard, and it's being almost like there's an acre in the, fr- in the front, like we said, the reverse of what I said before. And now what happens is the waves are still blowing back. What's that going to do? Anybody ever designed ships, architecture? What it's going to do is take the hull and break it in half. It's going to put so much lateral pressure on that boat that you're going to be doing this. There is, and then what happens when you have great masses of force that has a downward suction spiral, what does that do? Anybody know in here? Anybody? It's going to pull you down with it. It's going to be like an undertow. It's going to be pulling you down. So these men, I mean, this is, this is you know, they're going, okay, I hope this Paul's right. I hope his God's right, you know. But the stern was being broken up by violence in the waves. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners. So at this point, they're going, we're all going to die anyway. I'm not losing my life for one of these prisoners. Take these, whatever, 200 or however many prisoners there were. We know there's 276, probably 75 soldiers or something like that. Julius is a centurion. He says, you know what? He said, something needs to be done here. Kill all the prisoners. That way we're going to be safe. But, but look what happens here. This is amazing. Because Paul would have been included in this. That was the plan of these men, but God had a better plan. You're invincible when you're in the will of God. Because Paul was going to go to Rome, friends, and nothing was going to stop it. So, lest anyone should swim away and escape, but the centurion wanting to save Paul, look at that. I I believe we're going to see Julius in heaven. We're going to see him in heaven. I believe that he kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump off the board first and get to land and the rest, some on boards, you know, you Californians, I know we have some Californians in here. Here's your body surfing, man. Here's where they got body surfing or what have you in some parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Do you know how miraculous that was? All 206 76 people. I mean, this is miraculous. But God's hand is always miraculous. There's nothing that can stop him. His hand is not slack. Now, verse, or chapter 28, verse 1. Now, when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. So they're finally making it like, oh, this is Malta, okay. Know where they were, and the natives showed us an unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. Now, notice this with me Paul, the captain at this point, and the pastor, right? Paul, when but when Paul gathered a bundle of sticks, I love this. There's no end to his service, Christ came to serve and not to be served. It's a beautiful example of discipleship. He didn't sit back and go, All right, my God got us ashore. Sure. Now follow all my orders, and here's what we're going to do. You know what he did? He went out and he started picking up wood and sticks that he could be useful to help with the fire. I love this. This is what I believe it'll be like in the kingdom of God in the millennial reign. That's why he says that we co labor and we co serve with Jesus Christ, we co minister that way. You and I, those born-again believers in Christ, when after our seven years in that wedding feast, when we come back with him, that's what we're going to be doing. And we're all going to be, whatever needs to be done, and, that, and that's just like this church here. You know, you know how many volunteers it takes for a church our size just to, to, everything to be moving and kept together to be able to serve, people that vacuum, people that are cleaning toilets, people that are making sure the air's on and the sound and all the things that happen here. God does it all. God moves on the heart of his people. This church is a very giving church. This church is a heart where not only are they giving financially, but this church, they give of their time. People come in here and, and they, they're happy to greet one another. They serve one another. How are you doing? How was your week? What can we do for you? People come in and they clean. They, I am blessed. I am blessed to be an under rower in this church. As I look at the hearts of the people here. And I'm not saying that to puff anybody up. I know it's God that gets the glory for that. I'm, I'm not looking to give you all the glory. That's Jesus Christ. But it's wonderful when we live out the Bible. It is truly wonderful to live out the Bible and see it. Acts is still being written today. Through the lives of you and I. This book is still being written. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Didn't see that coming. Here Paul is trying to do the right thing. He's getting out after it. And all of a sudden, a viper jumps on him, right? He's probably going, this isn't good. But here, what do we see? So the native saw... The creature hanging from his hand. So obviously it was there for a moment because they're all looking at it. You know, somebody's like, are you gonna say something? Am I gonna say something? Who's gonna help this guy? He's just sitting there like, okay, eventually what's Paul doing? Get off. I got things to do. Right? I don't know about you. I'm not thinking that at that moment. I'm thinking remain calm, get a tourniquet, start getting that, you know, poison out of there. A lot of things are going through my head. You want to know what's going through my head. Not Paul. He's like, I'm going to Rome. Snake or no snake. You can hang on for the ride because then you're going to Rome. But we're getting to Rome, right? They said to one another, no doubt, this man is a murderer whom though he had escaped from the sea, yet justice did not allow him to live. This was true. This is true, friends. Wasn't he a murderer? Didn't he murder as Saul of Tarsus, the Christians? He was a murderer. You don't think for one second when he heard this, he went, huh? Huh? His past sin, I don't believe he did. There's nowhere in our Bible that tells us he wavered for a moment. He believes all things are made new. He knows Romans 8.1, that all that past sin, it's not on his account. It's been paid in full by the blood of the lamb. He's not condemned by his past sin. He, he understood this. He doesn't turn around and even skip a beat. But what does it tell us about people? People are fickle. Didn't we see that with Jesus Christ when he was coming into Jerusalem? You know, Hosanna, Asana in the Hebrew or Hosanna in the Greek, right? Praise now or save now. And then what are they screaming? Just a few days later, it's the Passion Week, right? Five days later, four days later actually. Crucify him. How fickle people are. Where is your source of strength? Is it another man? Are you a respecter of persons? Or are you going to be a respecter of God? Because you're going to look to Somebody. You're going to look to somebody that way. I encourage you to look to the living God. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. That's funny. They're like, wait for it. Wait for it. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, fickle, fickle friends, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. Okay. Didn't see that coming. Now. Now. In verse 7, I love this passage. I believe this is where he continued to write in Philippians you know, 4.11. We'll look at that in a second. If you want to turn there as I'm just sort of reading this verse to you, you can already start to turn to Philippians 4.11. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously. 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 Thank you. I know it. I can't say it. Forgive me. For three days... So picture this for a moment. This guy's just been on a ship. He was just almost shipwrecked, 14 days. Everything's breaking apart. It's literally chaos. No food, nothing like that. They have grace, bread, breaking bread like that, giving glory to God. And what does he do? He now finds himself in this beautiful respite. God gives him three days where he's in this beautiful house. It's like mansion or something, you know, a McMansion or whatever. He's in this beautiful house, Where he went from, you know, misery to just such beauty. And I believe God did this to give him rest. As as we look in Philippians 4.11, what does it say? It says, now that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned. (laughs) Paul learned this through his trials, through his circumstances. In whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. And everything, or excuse me, everywhere and in all things, I have learned to both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he says the famous verse that everybody's members in chapter 4, verse 13, which is I can do all things through Christ who strength. uh, Yeah, but how can you do all things through Christ who strengthens me when you're emptied out? When you're emptied out and you're surrendered, and you begin to realize that our sovereign God is the one who cares. He's the one who provides. That's how. It's never been about us, and it's never been about our strength to do it. It's just the right response for us to trust him. Amen? That's the right response for us. Because he's a loving God. He's a good God. He's a good dad. I mean, can any one of us honestly say here that our dad isn't good, our father in heaven? He's a good dad. Well, we're going to close with verse 10 here, and we're going to have communion Bill's going to be coming in here in a moment. And it happened that the father of lay sick of a fever and dysentery. So all of a sudden his father's sick and Paul went to him and prayed and he laid his hands on him and healed him. You see that here? What's our job? Our job is to be faithful to pray for one another, those that are sick among you, me, and whatever, as James says. What's God's job? God does the healing. Some of you might be thinking, well, Lord, one of the reasons that I'm a little nervous about praying over other people is what if I pray over that person, but God doesn't heal them? Is that my lack of faith? Is that their lack of faith? Lies from the pit of hell? No. God is the only one that can save. You and I can't save. You and I can't heal. God is the only one that can save and heal. Does that mean we don't preach the gospel? Certainly not, as Paul would say. We preach the gospel and trust that those seeds are being planted and Some will water, some will plant, but to who's the increase? God, our Father. Don't be nervous about that. And when someone around you is hurting or they're in pain, you come alongside them, you you pray for them, and you trust that whatever God's will will be done. You know, many of you know, we we prayed for Robin this morning as she got in this morning. If you weren't here with us, please lift her up in prayer. They found the clots have come back. But we prayed to God, God, heal her, Lord. And God will heal. Now, how he does that, I don't know. Maybe he'll take the clots away. Maybe he'll use medical science. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not one or the other. I mean, praise God for medical technology and science that's being used according to his will, not for something out of his will. There's nothing wrong with that. There, we, don't, we don't believe that we can't receive blood transfusions. We're not a cult. There's nothing like that. On the contrary, we know God uses God uses men and women that are inadequate to do the most amazing, miraculous works. But it's a miracle from him. And we trust, Lord, your will be done. And if he chooses to do it, praise God. If he has a better plan, praise God. But either way, what do we do? Praise God. And here we see that when Paul went into him and prayed and he laid his hands on him, he healed him. Our job is to pray. God's job is to heal That's what he does. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island and those who had diseases all came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Now, if you underline the diseases also came and, you see that where it says, and were healed? In the Greek, in the original language, what this applies was... And it's interesting because Dr. Luke, Colossians 4.14 tells us Dr. Luke was what? A physician. He was a physician, right? What this is implying here is not that it was all miraculous. So it's always miraculous when God heals. But what we see here is that from the original language, if you study it, it looks like, and it appears, at least from all the scholars I've read and everything I can read in the original language, what it's saying is kind of like we. As though the physician here, Dr. Luke, was a, a-, a part of this. He used medicine. He used medical science. He he used things to help these people that were sick and diseased. But who did the healing again? God. God did the healing. You know, as we close here today, I, I pray that we walk out of here and we look to the God who heals, to the God who preserves, to the God who keeps because as we turn our focus to communion right now, is to this celebration, this memorial. God told us, you know why you do this? You do this because it professes my second coming. 1 Corinthians 11. That's why you do this. You do this as a memorial, a celebration. So Bill, if you'd come in and... I'll let Bill close us in prayer here and we'll go into communion and I'll be out in the lobby if anybody has any questions or anything about our study today. But, but be encouraged, friends. I want everybody to walk out of here encouraged, knowing what Christ has done through us. Can we pray? And then we'll have Bill, Pastor Bill here step in and, and, and lead us in communion. Father God, we just thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, God, for all that you've done in our hearts. God, thank you for the way that you provide. Thank you for the things that we never saw, Lord. They didn't understand the, the mountain. They didn't understand the island. They didn't understand the waves and the storm. But, God, you were with them through it all. You spoke to your apostle. You spoke to your man on that ship, Lord. And through his perseverance in prayer, God, all 276 were saved, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you are a God who saves. Once again, you're showing us over and over again That's your heart's desire, Lord to save the lost and the broken. Lord, thank you because we were all lost and broken. And maybe there's somebody here that still doesn't know you, Jesus. I pray today would be the day of salvation, that they would ask you to be their Lord and Savior. Father, have your way in us. Lord, it's not till we're emptied out and broken that we can truly do all that you have for us. For we can do nothing good of ourselves, but only through your spirit, your Holy Spirit. Wreck us, Lord, in a beautiful way for your kingdom. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.